Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for listening to Depictions Media Radio. Hello, everybody. I am Fadila Shaib, speaking to you from W2 headquarters in Geneva and welcoming you to our global COVID-19 press conference today, Monday, 16 November. Present in the room is the W2 Director General, Dr. Tedros. Uh, in the room, uh, also Dr. Mike Ryan, Executive Director, Health Emergencies. Dr. Maria von Kerkhoff, Technical Lead for COVID-19. Dr. Maria Angela Simao, Assistant Director General, Access to Medicine and Health Products. Dr. Ed Kelly, Director, Integrated Health Services. Uh, and Mr. Steve Solomon, Principal Legal Officer at WHO. Um, welcome all. As usual, we have simultaneous interpretation in six UN official languages, plus Portuguese and Hindi. Now, without further ado, I will hand over to Dr. Tedros for his opening remark. Dr. Tedros, you have the floor. Thank you. Thank you, Fadila. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. This is not the time for complacency. While we continue to receive encouraging news about COVID-19 vaccines and remain cautiously optimistic about the potential for new tools to start to arrive in the coming months. Right now, we're extremely concerned by the surging cases we're seeing in some countries, particularly in Europe and the Americas. Health workers and health systems are being pushed to the breaking point. WHO has issued guidance and tools to increase capacity for the medical and public health workforce and supplies and facilities to manage COVID-19 patients. At present, WHO has 150 emergency medical teams assisting countries in the planning and implementation of their emergency responses. WHO and partners are working with governments and health leaders to ensure that there is cover for health workers that are sick that there are enough beds for COVID-19 patients and for essential services to continue safely, that there are enough masks, gloves, and other protective equipment, that governments have access to enough tests, therapeutics, and supplies to cope with demand now, and that health systems will be ready when safe and effective vaccines are rolled out. Health workers on the front lines have been stretched for months. They're exhausted. We must do all we can to protect them, especially during this period when the virus is spiking and patients are filling hospital beds. 
in this moment when some governments have put all of society restrictions in place, there is once again a narrow window of time to strengthen key systems. We have seen that those countries which invested in case finding, care and isolation, cluster investigations, adequate testing with rapid results, contact tracing, and supported quarantine are facing much less disruption. Cluster investigations and contract, contact tracing are part of the bedrock of a successful public health response. These actions help prevent individual cases from becoming clusters and clusters turning into community transmission. During recent Ebola outbreaks, the Democratic Republic of the Congo and WHO have invested in people and trained up a sizable number of contact tracers who work closely with local leaders and communities. And in just two days, in part down to active case finding and contact tracing, they will be able, I hope, to call an end to the most recent Ebola outbreak. As countries take extreme measures to curb the rapid spread of COVID-19, now is the time to invest in the systems that will prevent further waves of the virus. Invest in a well-trained and protected public health workforce so that you have enough contact tracers in place and ensure that those who are sick can isolate away from others and contacts are identified, notified, and managed properly. And where cases are starting to come down, keep investing so that you're prepared. This is a dangerous virus which can attack every system in the body. Those countries that are letting the virus run unchecked are playing with fire. First, there will be further needless deaths and suffering. Second, as we featured two weeks ago in a press conference, we're seeing a significant number of people experiencing long-term effects of the virus. Third, health workers in particular are facing extreme mental health pressure and cases are severely burdening health systems in too many countries. Health workers went into medicine to save lives, as you know. We must avoid putting them into situation where they have to make impossible choices about who gets care and who doesn't. We need to do everything we can to support health workers. Keep schools open, protect the vulnerable, and safeguarding the economy. From calling up students, volunteers, and even national guards to support the health response in times of crisis, to putting strict measures in place that allow pressure to be removed from the health system. There is no excuse for inaction. My message is very clear. Act fast, act now, act decisively. A laissez-faire attitude to the virus, not using the full range of tools available, leads to death, suffering, and hurts livelihoods and economies. It's not a choice between lives or livelihoods. The quickest way to open up economies is to defeat 
the virus. Last week, leaders came together at both the World Health Assembly and the Paris Peace Forum. High on the agenda was the ACT Accelerator and ensuring equitable access to new rapid tests, therapeutics, and COVID-19 vaccines. The European Commission, France, Spain, the Republic of Korea, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation pledged 360 million US dollars to COVAX, the vaccine's pillar of the ACT Accelerator. New contributions bring the total committed to 5.1 billion US dollars. This is very substantial, but to ensure that tools are rolled out quickly across the world so that we save lives, stabilize health systems, and drive a truly global recovery, another 4.2 billion US dollars is needed urgently. And a further 23.9 billion US dollars will be required in 2021. With countries spending trillions to prop up economies, COVAX represents the best possible deal as, will, as it will mean a quicker recovery for all and an end to stimulus. G20 leaders will meet this weekend. This is an opportunity for them to commit financially and politically to the ACT Accelerator and COVAX so that together we can end this pandemic quickly. It's also a moment for us to strive for the world we want. This cannot be business as usual. The time has come for a fundamental shift toward health being seen as an investment rather than a cost and the foundation of productive, resilient and stable economies. Health is central. To reflect this, last week, I launched a new Council on the Economics of Health for All to be chaired by distinguished economist, Professor Mariana Mazzucato, to put universal health coverage at the center of how we think about value creation and economic growth. Health, like the climate crisis, inequality and conflict cannot be tackled in silos. A new collective way forward is needed to ensure that we deliver on the promises of the past and tackle these intertwined challenges together. I thank you. Thank you, Dr. Tedros, for those remarks. I would like just to uh, add uh, an information. We have with us Dr. Uh, Sumia Swaminata, Chief Scientist, and uh, Dr. Kate O'Brien, Director Immunization Vaccines and Biological Remotely. Um, now, I would like to open the floor to questions from members of the media. I remind you that you need to raise your hand, use the raise your hand function in order to get in the queue to ask your question. Um, I will start with uh, Antonio Brotto from EFE, the Spanish news agency. Antonio, can you hear me? 
Sí, Fadela, hola. Yes, Fadela, good afternoon. I wanted to ask about the vaccines that are giving good results, and in particular Moderna, because Moderna is the only one of the three that has shown results above 90%, and which is in the COVAX network. So how is this good preliminary news from Moderna affecting the uh, research programs and the distribution programs that the WHO and Gavi are working on through COVAX? Thank you. Uh, thank you, Antonio. Um, Dr. Swaminathan, can you hear me? Yes, yes I can. I can. Um, um, thank you, thank for, you the for the question. question. We can have to turn off because there was there was an echo. I can I start, can start and, maybe and maybe it can, it come, can in. come in. The question I think was about the news of the Moderna vaccine. Yes, that is quite encouraging. The, we've just heard about the interim results from the press release from Moderna. It's a fairly detailed press release. And we know that uh, in the interim analyses, it appears that the vaccine is actually has a protective efficacy of over 90%. It's about 90%. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 4%. Of course, we need to wait and see what the final efficacy and the safety profile of this vaccine will be when the whole data is analyzed after they reach their uh, primary endpoint and also have enough follow-up of at least two months of half the trial participants um, for the side effects. And that will then be submitted to the regulatory agencies. As far as the COVAX facility is concerned, we're working very closely with Gavi and CEPI. The, the facility has been established and the facility is discussing with vaccine manufacturers from around the world we're open to procurement of vaccine doses. There are criteria, of course, for the procurement and there is an independent prioritization group that's been set up that will look at the dossiers, that will look at the data that manufacturers are submitting. And then there are the cost considerations as well. There's the affordability and then there are practical considerations like uh, the need for cold storage, um, the number of doses of vaccine that will be required 
the ease of uh, the number of doses that may be uh, available early in 2021. So there will be, apart from efficacy and safety, other considerations that the facility will consider when making a decision on whether or not to go ahead with the contract act. So at this point, there is, um, we, we cannot announce uh, uh, anything further about which companies there have, uh, there are negotiations going on, of course, with several uh, at the moment. And, and one very encouraging thing is to see that at least with the two mRNA vaccine results that we've heard, Pfizer and Moderna, that we seem to be achieving high efficacy. But there are many, many questions still remaining about the duration of protection, the impact on severe disease, the impact on different subpopulations, especially the elderly, as well as the adverse events beyond a certain period of time. So we also hope that the clinical trials will continue to collect data because that's really going to be important for us to know about in the long term. And we're looking forward to getting more results in the coming weeks from the other uh, vaccine trials that are, that are currently in progress. Over. Um, thank you, uh, Dr. Swaminathan. Dr. O'Brien, do you have uh, something to add? Uh, thank you. The only thing I would add to that um, really good explanation from Dr. Swaminathan is that the um, delivery characteristics of vaccines are also important. Uh, and um, we will be looking really carefully at the, the ease with which different vaccines can be delivered and, and uh, certainly about the number of doses that are required. These are, um, this is a, a two-dose vaccine um, and certainly any vaccine that can, uh, can achieve a, a one-dose vaccine is certainly easier to deliver than a two-dose vaccine. And of course, the cold chain characteristics are also important. So information from the Moderna vaccine about its um, requirements of both minus 20 and then refrigeration um, for uh, a period of, we, uh, of what they're uh, indicating, maybe a month uh, period, um, is welcome news as well. Thank you, Dr. O'Brien. I would like now to invite Bayram Altuk, Anadolu News Agency, to ask the next question. Bayram, can you hear me? Hi, Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity, and uh, good evening, everybody. And uh, China seems to have uh, recorded almost no news or very little patients for months. Can we assume that Chinese authorities have and the pandemic. If this is the case, so what does the WHO attribute such success? And what are the lessons learned from the rest of the world? There have also been unconfirmed reports of Chinese toll being much higher. So what would you like to say about this question? Thank you. Um, thank you for the question. <clears throat> um, many countries have actually uh, dealt with uh, sometimes serious uh, uh, epidemics within their own countries and have uh, found the comprehensive means by which to uh, control the infection, uh, test and trace contacts, quarantine contacts, treat their sick and keep the virus once they've had it low, keep the virus at a very low level. Uh, China is amongst those countries but others like uh, uh, Korea, um, um, Singapore, Japan, uh, New Zealand, uh, now Australia and others. So this has been um, a fight that many countries have taken to the virus. I think what's common 
in their approaches. Uh, while the approaches have been very different and they're in very different uh, cultural uh, settings, what has been common in their approach is really a relentless focus on doing it all a relentless focus on uh, mobilizing community action like in Thailand with community-based surveillance and response, uh, a relentless focus on testing, tracing and quarantine. As you saw, uh, Australia really fight back against a very difficult epidemic in, in, in Melbourne and Victoria. Uh, the people of Victoria sacrificed 101 days, I think, in, in virtual lockdown with uh, ramping up of surveillance and has uh, they've turned the corner there significantly. So from, from that perspective, I think what we can see uh, between countries is that capacity both to chase the virus, take the fight to the virus, protect vulnerable groups, uh, keep the health system ticking over. And when you get to that low level, following through with very aggressive measures when cases and clusters occur. Very good cluster investigation like we've seen in places uh, like Japan, both prospective contact tracing and retrospective investigation of cases to find out where whether they were part of clusters. So much of that is the stuff we've been saying for months and months, a comprehensive strategy <clears throat> aimed at <clears throat> sorry, controlling the virus, aimed at protecting the vulnerable, aimed at saving lives. Um, in, with regard to your the other part of your question, uh, with regard to uh, current incidents in countries, uh, uh, I think uh, many countries have very, very low numbers of cases. There's always the risk of importation of cases or undetected cases in any country. Uh, we have uh, no evidence right now that the situation in China is anything other than extremely low levels uh, of, of the virus with a very aggressive response to any um, upsurges uh, that you've seen. Again, with much of the mass testing uh, that's gone on, and mass testing is not something that's accessible to all countries. It takes a huge amount of resources to do, and for many countries, that's not a feasible or even advisable option. But in the situations where it has been done, uh, very few cases have actually been picked up as part of that mass testing. If there were... Uh, uh, a large number of undetected cases uh, in the context of local transmission, one would expect to find cases through that process. So no, I, we don't believe at this point that there's any evidence that points to uh, a significant problem uh, in, in, in China. Maria? Yeah, just to highlight the, the part of the, the question of what can we learn from others, I think that's exactly the right question we need to be asking and constantly asking because there's so much that we're learning from each other. As Mike has pointed out, this is a comprehensive set of measures that China, that Japan, that Australia, that so many countries, that Germany, that so many countries have been using right now. And I think some of the things that stand out um, is the doing it all, making sure that there's a comprehensive, aggressive approach in case finding, um, but using the system that's also in place to find cases that may be picked up in the community. So using your influenza surveillance system or your respiratory disease surveillance system that exists in country to also test a subset of those for COVID-19 are incredibly helpful to see you if you might be missing chains of transmission. And some of the things that work, um, you've heard us say many times before, um, arguably some of the most important things to do is to be able to isolate cases 
really isolate those cases in a medical facility if possible, um, in a community center that is specifically catered for COVID patients, depending on the, the severity of their systems, or if they need to be cared for at home, making sure that they're isolated from other family members. Um, this is difficult to do in multi-generational homes or homes that have a lot of different people, but having a known case in the home, they need to be isolated from their loved ones. Um, and that will really help break those chains of transmission. The other thing is supported quarantine. So finding the contacts of the known cases um, and putting these individuals safely, securely supported um, in a quarantine facility, or again, if they need to be quarantined at home away from others, this is what breaks chains of transmission. Um, and in countries, the last thing just to highlight, one of the things um, we repeatedly see in countries is when you have a supported, enabled, empowered community to carry out individual level measures where they know, where I know, what do I need to do? What does my family need to do? What does my community need to do? All of that contributes to reducing the spread. And that is something we, we cannot uh, emphasize enough because right now we need everyone, everyone everywhere to really be doing what they can to support, um, to make sure that they don't get infected themselves and to make sure that they don't pass the virus to someone else should they either be infected or exposed. Um, and so these are things that we need to continue to focus on and we will continue to um, put these messages out day in and day out. Thank you. I would like now to invite Gunilla von Ho uh, to ask the next question. Gunilla, can you hear me? Yes, I can, yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, very well. Go ahead, please. Judgment, or what has been needed really to stop it? And helpful can it be in this situation with a surge of cases to recommend the use of face masks, which is basically the only country that I think uh, all countries have had to adapt to the realities of, of this wave of transmission of the virus. Uh, I think it was uh, quite clear in the in the first months of the, the the spread of this disease that while it had a major impact, the vast majority of people still remain susceptible to the virus. In most cases, uh, more than 90%. Um, as the virus has spread again, particularly in the European region, um, and as people um, uh, have you know suffered that fatigue of maintaining physical distance, uh, wearing masks, hand washing, not attending crowds and gatherings. It is difficult. It's difficult for, for all to maintain discipline in that, self-managed uh, discipline in that. The, 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 the Swedish authorities uh, had engaged and had, I believe, very high levels of compliance with their original measures uh, back in the spring. Uh, and that social contract that exists in Sweden, the fact that the, 
the majority, I think over 50% of households in Sweden are single person households. Um, they did see issues in long-term care facilities uh, amongst some immigrant populations who live in multi-generational homes, uh, so it wasn't without its uh, difficulties. Um, I think the uh, this time around, uh, Sweden has begun to implement and ask its population to do even more uh, in terms of behavioral, behavioral adaptation, and it has added into that some mandated uh, measures. Uh, WHO's advice uh, regarding mask wearing, uh, I think, is, 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 is quite clear. Masks work. Mas lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mask work in particular environments where you can't maintain physical distance, where you're in a crowded setting. We would like people to look at all aspects of how you protect yourself, to look at your your risk score, in a sense, on a, on a weekly basis. You need to look at all of the activities <clears throat> in terms of the locations, uh, the durations, and the intensity of the contact you're going to have with people in those situations. Um, there are many situations uh, where uh, wearing a mask is a very good addition to all of the other measures, maintaining physical distance and, and uh, washing hands, avoiding crowded places, and in particular, linking the, the the hand sanitization and hand washing to mask use as well. It's really important that people wear masks properly, use the right kind of masks, but also wear masks uh, properly fitted on their face and not under their nose and also take care that when you're applying the mask and taking off the mask, you're using your hands. And therefore, that should always be done with uh, proper regard for, for sanitization. So we would have, we would advise all countries in situations of widespread community transmission to consider the utilization of masks in those specific contexts where transmission risk is high. Uh, I'll pass to Maria for the specifics on that. But again, with regard, it's, it's, it's easy in, in all of these situations, countries are on a journey and countries are trying to use the data as best they can to protect their populations. These decisions are made in good faith. Uh, they are evidence-based and they represent the considered view uh, of people who advise on, on, on policy. Uh, adjusting and, and shifting and changing those policies is not a weakness, that's a strength. It takes courage sometimes to, to move away from a path and recognize that you have to add additional measures. That, that, that's not a, f a failure, that, that, that's a sign that the system is capable of listening, adapting and adjusting to new realities that you didn't expect to be the case. So this is not a time, I believe, for recrimination. This is a time for solidarity, of moving forward together, finding the right combination of measures that works and then implementing it in a consistent and fair fashion with the least recrimination possible, maintaining unity, uh, if at all possible, between all sectors of society and government. Maria? Okay, thank you, Dr. Ryan. Um, I would like now to invite uh, RFI, Jeremy uh, Lange from Radio France Internationale to ask the next, the next question. Jeremy, uh, can you hear me? Yes, I yes, can, I can you hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, very well. Go ahead, please. Thanks, Bob. Um, a question. I would like to know what is the dominant feeling right now at WHO? Uh, are you more amazed by the results of Moderna, Pfizer, and the likes? Or are you more worried 
that those vaccines, if proven effective, will only be available in rich countries. Thanks. <coughs> Merci, Jeremy. Uh, Dr. Simao? Let me start and, and then Dr. Sumia can, can complement. Of course, we're very happy to hear positive results, but there are many vaccine candidates coming up with results before the end of this year and beginning of next year. And some will be easier to implement at country level and some will be more challenging. But overall, we, we see the, the landscape as very, very promising so far and the fact that we have already two vaccine candidates that are showing interim results at 90 94.5 uh, efficacy results it's it's quite quite encouraging of course as i mentioned there are challenges in the implementation but we are also aiming with through the covax facility in ensuring that countries will have a chance to opportunity to to have access to the vaccines they prefer in due time and that we don't have a, a long lagging period between uh, these vaccines reaching developing countries and developed countries. Sumia, I don't know if you want to complement. It's nine hours. <laughs> Dr. Swaminat, I think, I think, go ahead, please. Angela, Angela has, has answered the question. And we remain optimistic and uh, we would like to work with all manufacturers and developers with the COVAX facility to ensure that we have the widest possible um, selection of candidates available because some candidates will, will uh, suit more in certain situations, perhaps in certain subgroups like the elderly, um, some will have different storage conditions uh, and so on. So it would be good to really have a portfolio of products to so that countries can also have some choice in the matter. But I think we're looking at at least the first half of next year as being um, a period of very, very limited doses. Supplies are going to be limited. Um, there are bilateral deals that many of the companies have done. So many of the doses have already been booked by some countries. We are hoping that there will be enough in the facility so that the AMC countries, the 92 countries in the AMC group, will also get uh, access to these doses at the same time. Um, but right now, it's it's just a question of planning week by week and day by day. But our goal is to ensure that the highest risk uh, people in all countries, Dr. Tedros mentioned the health workers who are under tremendous strain um, and who are also being disproportionately affected by this pandemic. We want to make sure that these frontline workers, regardless of which country they're in, are protected. And that's our goal. And we're trying to work with all countries um, to see that, that this happens. But this, again, as Dr. Tedros has said many times, this requires global solidarity to really uh, ensure that we achieve the goal of equitable access. Dr. Ryan, please. Yeah, I think it, it, it's good for us to, to reflect on, on, on the, the amazing journey that uh, we've all been on in terms of uh, global science. 
um, and and to reflect on the fact that before this pandemic started uh, as part of the research and development blueprint we had target product profiles for coronavirus vaccines for disease x for therapeutics and the world and many scientists had come together uh, to agree on what we would need to be doing really quickly in the face of a pandemic that uh, transformed uh, 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 in february uh, within a few days of the, uh, the Dr. J Dr. Tedros declaring the highest level of global alert into a research and development roadmap, which was the result of hundreds of scientists coming together under the leadership of people like Sumia and Mariangela, Maria, and so many others in the R&D who support the R&D blueprint. That roadmap then was used as a blueprint to bring together technical partners. Dr. Tedros has been working at the political level uh, on this issue since March, since April, talking to global leaders going way, way back, trying to build an alliance and a coalition between multilateral organizations and, and powerful member states to create the momentum that could drive uh, this forward. But uh, we are at that moment uh, of great hope, but we need to hope with, with attitude. Uh, we need to hope with determination, with planning, with investment, with financing, with implementation, with readiness, the issues that Kate mentioned about getting countries ready to be able to deliver this vaccine to those who will benefit from it and ensuring that's done with equity. So yes, it is a moment of, of great hope and it is a moment that demonstrates what human civilization and what science can deliver when, when it works across ideologic uh, and, gov and, and country boundaries, when it works to, towards a common good, a common goal, a global good. Uh, and when we see that happening, we should take hope from that. Science, solidarity and solutions, as Tedros has said almost every day uh, at these press conferences, and he says it every day to us, uh, that's what we have to focus on. And I think we should have hope, we should have realistic hope that we're not there yet. And uh, a testament to, to, to everyone and COVAX and everyone in the R&D blueprint, everybody uh, who supports the work that Mariangela is doing, leading on allocation, on equitable allocation. We're not there yet, but I certainly would uh, strike a note of hope uh, in this regard. Thank you all. I think Dr. Atkili would like to add something. Just really briefly on Mike's point that we're not there yet, but we're getting there. I mean, I think these points that we've raised earlier about the measures that need to be taken continue to take now and will be needed even after the vaccine is introduced. Last week, we had 60,000 deaths. We had 4 million new cases. We'll have more of those weeks before the vaccine is out there. And I think we, I'm sure my uh, partner, Kate, uh, would mention what also Sumia and Mariangela mentioned. It's uh, not vaccines that save people, it's vaccinations that will actually save people. So the delivery function and the work on the ACT Accelerator is an important piece of that. We have spent recently work over the past two weeks plus to really integrate the work of the vaccines pillar of the ACT Accelerator with the health systems strengthening work that they are working with the ACT Accelerator partners as well as with the World Bank and really focusing on ramping up delivery in 100 countries over uh, the next 100 days to really look at how we can accelerate readiness. And I think that piece is going to be key. Thank you. Um, I would like also to ask Dr. Kate O'Brien, uh, who has something to add. Dr. O'Brien. I really, I really want to emphasize you know, great excitement there is, uh, not only at WHO, but I'm sure around the world with um, the results that are coming out now from two phase three clinical uh, efficacy trials. Um, the part I really want to emphasize is we have 
plenty of vaccines that are life-saving vaccines. Uh, measles is an example of that, a highly efficacious vaccine, over 95% efficacy. And yet we still have outbreaks. So the importance of having achieved, uh, it, you know, if obviously the data need to be reviewed by regulators and a full, a full analysis of, of the data needs to be taken and these trials need to be completed as um, emphasized. But this is, um, there was a, a really nice announcement recently about getting to vaccine efficacy is like building base camp at Everest. But the climate is really about delivering the vaccines. And, and this cannot be overemphasized that the people who need to receive these vaccines um, uh, are the ones who um, really are the are the focus now, um, as we as we start to see that we, that we have vaccines that that may in fact really um, have very strong efficacy. So the work is really beginning in in every country around the world of exactly how are we going to um, manage in every country to immunize health workers. Um, we don't have strong programs for immunization of adults in many, many countries around the world. So this is really going to have to lean on the programs for immunization that we have in every country around the world. But they have largely focused on infants, children, and adolescents. Um, so there's an enormous amount of work to do and, and, and resources that will be needed to actually deliver the vaccines to everybody who needs these vaccines uh, should they in fact, um, come forward as as some of these press releases indicate um, they should. Thank you all. I would like to give the floor to Tomo from Kyodo. Tomo, can you hear me? Yes, yes can you hear me? <laughs> Very well. Go ahead, please. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Tedros, uh, congratulations that you are back in the uh, actual podium, not the virtual on this press conference. So you have finally tested negative on the uh, coronavirus. And uh, another question, if I may, to uh, Dr. Van Kerkhoff. Uh, we see the reports of associated that there's a cluster of uh, infections going on in the WHO. Uh, could you clarify about how many cases in uh, WHO headquarters and how serious the situation is? Thank you. I will. Uh, thank you, Tomo, for the for the question. It's nice to to hear your voice again. Um, so yes, we we are as you know, um, as all uh, workplaces, we are following um, infections and we're monitoring the health of all of the, all of our staff all over the world. Uh, we have had cases that have been uh, staff members, um, and uh, yes, I did also see the AP story. Um, there have been 65 cases associated with HQ staff, headquarters staff, not all of which have been on the premises. Um, there have been 36. Those 65 are from the start of the pandemic. So let us be very clear on that. And clearly, um, the AP is reporting on an email that was sent uh, to staff about that. So those are 65 cases reported since the beginning of the year. Um, 36 have been uh, have had access to the premises, who have been on the premises. As I'm sure you know, we've reduced greatly reduced our staff 
um, in the building. We're, we're working in these different types of phases, depending on the epidemiologic situation um, in the areas that are around us, as most workplaces are doing. Um, and we have had some cases that have been associated with the premises. Uh, we do have some cases in the last week um, that are linked together. We don't know if they're an actual cluster. So what we do is what, when we have any cases uh, is we first make sure that they have access to a test, make sure that they have access to appropriate care. Uh, all are doing well. Um, all have mild disease um, or asymptomatic. Um, and we are tra tracing back and we're also tracing forward. So what we do is we carry out contact tracing to see who they came in contact with to see if there are any further onward transmission uh, as most countries are doing. But we also look back to see what did they do in the previous 14 days, for example. Um, and so we do have cases that are linked within a team, um, but there are possible ways in which they were infected outside of the premises. Um, so we're still doing the epidemiologic investigation with that, uh, with these individuals, um, but they are all doing well. And just for your information, we have initiated a number of practices in the building, um, again, as all workplaces have with our physical distancing, uh, with the use of masks when we can't physical distance, making sure our ventilation is appropriate, making sure that we reduce the footprint on the campus, we limit our, our in-person meetings. We have utilized a lot of the different online platforms to have our meetings so that we continue to do the work that we do. Um, we have tape on the floor that help us, you know, where it's, it's appropriate to sit to make sure that we keep our spacing. Um, so we are constantly looking at the measures that we have in place. We adjust them as necessary, uh, and we will continue to do so. So thank you very much for the question and the concern for our staff. Um, yeah, I think it's also important uh, to clarify that uh, uh, Maria, myself, uh, Ted Ross, or anyone uh, at this table, we don't uh, control the contact tracing or other processes in-house. We don't get to say who stays or who goes. Dr. Ted Ross, stayed home, not because I told him or he told himself, but because our contact tracing teams made that decision. We have a special working group made up of key experts around the house. They meet, they decide, they investigate, they apply the principles uh, of our standard operating procedures for managing cases in-house. There's, there's no policy discussion of someone should come in or should not come in. That is purely made on the basis of our SOPs and, and, and of science. Uh, and uh, and that has uh, has worked uh, very well and served us well over the last uh, over the last uh, nine ten months. We also are able to increase and decrease the number of staff on site. We're able to increase and decrease the levels of restriction, uh, which are commensurate with the uh, local epidemiology. And I can remind you that the cantons of Vaux and cantons of uh, Geneva that surround us have some of the most intense transmission in the world right now. So our staff are out there living in communities uh, to my knowledge the the cluster being investigated is the first evidence of potential transmission on the the site of who but we can't completely protect ourselves from our own as you many out there from your own social and other engagements uh, with family and school and so many other things we all we are human beings and we live within a society and we're not entirely within uh, a cocoon here um, and uh, I'll be glad to confirm that, as Maria said, I was joking with uh, Ed beforehand, that we've significantly replaced the red tape with the uh, yellow tape here at the WHO. 
Sorry, I need to come back in because I'm being asked to clarify. So when I said that there were 36 cases uh, associated with the premises, that's since the beginning of the pandemic. There have been five cases uh, in um, testing positive in the last week. So we just want to clarify uh, that point. Um, but also to say, as Mike said, we're normal human beings. We do we do our grocery shopping. We do our we have to take our kids to school. We are living in an area right now that has very high incidence um, surrounding us, and so we, as individuals, also need to take into account the measures to keep ourselves safe. What we recommend to you, and what you hear us saying every single day, is what we say to our own staff, to our loved ones. Um, but just to clarify that it's this it's been 65 cases associated with um, HQ since the beginning of the pandemic 36 of which have had access to the premises and only five in the last week Thanks. Yeah, could I just further clarify Maria because we used the word associate there uh, to all those amateur epidemiologists out there that does not mean that transmission occurred on these premises uh, the, those individuals were people who were designated as working on site and therefore they were left home to self-isolate uh, and their contacts traced outside so just when we use the word associated uh, i'm sure we'll get a, a lot of, of, of feedback the, the, the this last uh, cluster under investigation to to our knowledge is the only evidence of our potential transmission on this campus uh, over the last uh, 10 months thank you Thank you. Um, thank you both. I would like now to call on Elena Gordon from the word GBH to ask the next question. Elena, can you hear me? Can you unmute yourself, please, Elena? Yes. Can yes. You can me? you hear me? Yes. Very well. Go ahead, please. Um, so my question, and I hope that everybody is doing well, was related to this Associated Press. Um, outbreak or, or not outbreak but cases that have been reported recently within the who and i wanted to follow up i, I guess on that and ask um it was reported that a member of the leadership team had also been uh, tested positive and i wonder if you had more details about that and i hope that that person is doing well so again there's no outbreak uh at hq here headquarters in in geneva um, what we are doing is we are following, actively monitoring the health and safety of all of our staff members. Every day we fill in a questionnaire that asks how we're doing, that takes our temperature, where we are working, and gives our contact information. Um, if anyone fits a suspected case definition, um, they are followed up and they are tested, and we make sure that people get the appropriate care that they need. We have been doing this since day one. We have taken a number of steps to make sure that we reduce our opportunities for infection. We reduce the opportunities for any potential transmission in the building and elsewhere. So this is something that we are we, are, we take very seriously as all uh, workplaces do. Um, and so the the um, those who test positive uh, is confidential, as is confidential in other locations as well. Um, but the people who had tested positive in the last week are doing well. They are being followed up. Um, they are resting comfortably at home. We're checking in on them every day and making sure that they have what they need. And if they need any, any support, then we will drop off care packages if necessary. And we are also making sure that those who are contacts have been identified and are also being supported in quarantine. Um, so that is something that we will continue to do until this pandemic ends. Thank you, Dr. Kelly. And just to add to that, I mean, since it's a question about leadership team, I think it's also important to add last week we just uh, completed 
the first fully digital World Health Assembly with all of our leadership participating, uh, Dr. Tedros obviously at a distance. So as someone who's been here with the team since the beginning of the outbreak, I can tell you, as Mike says, the amount of uh, yellow tape telling you which way to go up the corridor, which way to come down the corridor, where you can sit, where you can't sit, the amount of space in between, the amount of space shut down in terms of any eating uh, establishments, uh, the amount of cleaning that is happening in all of the offices is exponential and has gone up during the time that we've been here. We've also looked as, at an opportunity to really change the way WHO does its business, how it engages with countries, how it engages with senior leadership, and how our leadership engages with them. So I think those are also opportunities. Thank you. Um, the next question is for Agnes Pedrero from Agence France Presse. Agnes, can you hear me? Yes, hello, I can hear you. Hi, thank you for taking my, my question. Uh, it's just a, a follow-up um, of uh, one question that was asked before from uh, my colleague. Uh, it was on the... Thank you. Maybe I didn't listen the answer, but sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Um, first of all, glad to be back. And second, working from home is very tough. Of course, uh, I work on uh, uh, weekends and evenings, even before COVID, during COVID. Uh, but when you do it during the working days, working hours from home, it's very, very difficult, especially uh, uh, coordinating um, uh, running an assembly uh, while under quarantine is, is very, very tough, as you can see. And uh, the most busiest uh, two weeks while I was under quarantine because of the assembly, uh, but at the same time, the most difficult. Uh, but I was okay, no symptoms. It's uh, day 17 now. I followed the uh, protocols uh, because of no symptoms and also the um, full follow-up of the protocol. I didn't see the need for uh, testing. I can uh, uh, assure you that I'm, I'm, I'm okay and actually very, very uh, busy. Uh, so the most important thing is following the protocol. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Tedros. Um, I think we are coming uh, to the end of this press conference. Before I close it formally, I would like to invite Dr. Tedros for his final words. Dr. Tedros, the floor is yours. Okay, thank you. Thank you, uh, Fadila. And thank you so much for those who have uh, joined uh, uh, today and uh, see you in our upcoming uh, uh, presser. Thank you. All the best. Uh, thank you, Dr. Tedros and colleagues for your participation and many thanks to journalists who are regularly uh, following our press uh, briefings and special thanks also to our uh, interpreters team. I remind you that we will uh, send you the audio file and Dr. Tedros remarks right, right after the press conference, the full transcript will be available um, as of tomorrow on the WHO website. If you have any follow-up question, please don't hesitate to contact the WHO media team. Thank you and have a, a nice evening. 
This show has been produced by Depictions Media. Please contact us at depictions.media for more information.